Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 234. And today we'll start our journey into the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, Corinth was a city in Greece. And on his second missionary trip, Paul had established a church in Corinth. And we see that what has happened since then is that there have been some issues in the church of Corinth that Paul has to address. And so Corinth, first of all, was a city um, that was a cosmopolitan city, if you will. It had Jews, it had Greeks, it had Romans, it had Orientals. So it had people from all over the region. And it was a, a city of commerce and relatively prosperous. It was a trade center as well. And so along with that, there were a lot of, uh, or I should say because of that, there are a lot of customs of culture that are being brought together in an amalgamation of different sorts of uh, uh, cultural attributes are going on in Corinth. And so <clears throat> there's a lot of idol worship. There is a lot of uh, sexual promiscuity. There's a lot of things going on that are considered to be normal. And so uh, Aphrodite, who was uh, uh, the goddess of love, if you will, uh, she had a statue there or, or, or a temple there. And there were temple prostitutes there, numbering, you know, a thousand or somewhere thereabouts. And so uh, this was a normal part of the existence of society in Corinth. And so the church in Corinth was facing a lot of issues, and the people were confused with regard to what the church should represent. And so they wrote Paul a letter. And I'm going to read something that I found. It says, uh, two circumstances provided the occasion for the writing of 1 Corinthians. First, the Corinthians had written to Paul and asked his advice on a number of problems which were perplexing them. So they had a number of problems, and they were confused as to what to do about them. These problems concluded or included the Christian view of marriage, and so they, they, they didn't have an idea of what marriage should be like. The practice of eating meat sacrificed to idols— the manner in which women should dress for public worship, the proper observance of the Lord's Supper, the relative value of spiritual gifts, uh, and the resurrection of the dead. The other circumstance was the, view, was the news which Paul received of irregularities within the life of the church. Factions had sprung up, and a case of incest was being condoned. And so the church was having a lot of uh, uh, issues because of the cultural influences, and nobody really knew what um, was to bring about or what was, to, uh, what was the proper way in order to deal with these things. So they wrote Paul a letter. And so 1 Corinthians is, is uh, in essence, his response to the letter that he received, giving instruction on what they should do. Time-wise, it's assumed this is somewhere around A.D. 55 or 56, somewhere in that vicinity. And so with that introduction of 1 Corinthians, let's get started. Uh, we go into chapter 1. Let's drop down to verse 10. It says, Divisions at, Cor at Corinth. Now I urge you, this is Paul, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be, un uh, be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. So he's urging unity. But we, if we're going to be unified, we've got to be unified about the right stuff, right? And so in verse 11, he says, For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What, uh, what I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or another says, I belong to Apollos. So Paul founded the church, but then Paulus, uh, Apollos, who was a Jew, came in and he took over and started running the church. And it says, or I belong to Cephas or I belong to Christ. 
Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? So Paul is saying, you know, you're in these factions. Some of you are saying you're my disciples. Other of you are saying you're Apollos' disciples. Other of you are saying you're Cephas' disciples. Uh, disciples. And Paul is saying, was I crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? You know, so he's questioning what they're doing. In verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effects. And so Paul is saying, look, Christ sent me to do the preaching of his gospel. He's the one. <laughs> he's the one that has the disciples, not me. You know, I'm just doing his work. It says, Christ, the power and wisdom of God in verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. So Paul is trying to point them back. You know, they're, they're lining themselves up, uh, you know, with man. And, and Paul is trying to point them back to Christ. You see? In verse 21, he says, for since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And so uh, Paul, in trying to uh, reduce these factions, is doing a bit of educating here. You see, he says, look, the Jews... They, they want to see signs and wonders. The Greeks, they're intellectually stimulated. They seek wisdom and whatnot. But Paul is saying, look, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews because, you know, where are the signs and wonders? And foolishness to the Gentiles because they're saying, you know, where's the wisdom? I'm looking for wisdom. And so in verse 24, he said, yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. But to those who can see and to those who can hear, See, Christ satisfies both of these things because Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, because God's foolishness, let's see, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Boasting only in the Lord. Verse 26, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen uh, what is foolish in the world uh, to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In other words, man looks for, for natural or for man's wisdom. Man looks for, for strength and power and whatnot, and so in, in other people, other things. And it says, instead, what God has done is God has chosen what is foolish to shame the wise. No, he's chosen what people consider foolish in order to school them, in effect. And God has chosen what is weak in the world's eyes to shame the strong. God has chosen what is, why might God do this anyway? To make sure that people would acknowledge or recognize that this is in fact the power of God. If God can use the weak and the foolish in order to shame the wise and the strong, then that has to be God. What else could it be? Verse 28, God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing. What is viewed by the world as nothing, God has chosen that to bring nothing what is viewed as something. So God has chosen what is nothing such that it will be viewed as something. 
so that no one may boast in his presence. See, God is turning common day wisdom upside down so that nobody can attribute anything uh, that is happening other than to God. Verse 30, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom for God or from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you're going to brag, if you're going to boast, boast in Jesus. Not in anything you've done, not in anything you've had, not in anything you say, not in anything you do. If you're going to boast, boast in Jesus. Let's go on this uh, chapter two. Paul's proclamation. Paul says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, he's talking about on this first trip uh, trip to Corinth. He says, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul is saying, when I first came to you, I didn't use any any lavish words or any eloquent prose or anything. I just came and and preached Christ crucified. That's it. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with pervasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith not be, may not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, we have to remember where he is in Corinth, right? And so, which is in Greece. Athens is also in Greece. And so, this was kind of the center of intellectual thought and philosophy and that sort of thing. And Paul is saying, when I came to you, I didn't bring none of that. I bring, you know, I, what I brought was the power of the Lord, the Spirit's power. See, so that your faith would be in that and not any ability that I might have had as an orator, as a speaker. See, I didn't want you coming to Christ because of me, because of my, uh, uh, my effervescence, because of my charm, because of my wisdom. No, if you're going to come to the Lord, you come because of the Spirit's power, not because of me. It's says spiritual wisdom. Verse 6, we do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age. We do, however, speak wisdom to those who are in Christ, who are of a certain maturity, but we don't speak a wisdom of this age, see, or of the rulers of this age who are, among, who are coming to nothing. We don't speak in terms of human wisdom to the mature of you. On the contrary, he says in verse 7, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, they didn't know God's plan. They thought that by killing Jesus, it, would go, it was going to kill the Christian movement. Let's get rid of this Jesus. Let's stop these signs and wonders and miracles and whatnot. And so the Jewish leaders, the, the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, could get back to the norm and could uh, maintain their positions of power and whatnot. Okay? Had they known that God's plan was through Jesus' death, he would be resurrected, resurrected, proving that he had power over death, and then therefore being able to dispense that power amongst those who believe in him, in essence having numerous Jesuses all over the place instead of just one Jesus. Paul is saying had they known that was the plan, they would have never killed Jesus in the first place then they would have only had to deal with the one Jesus instead. Now they have all these apostles to deal with. It says in verse 9, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. 
God put this plan forth because he wanted us to benefit. See, Verse 12. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. See, it says we have not received the spirit of the world, but we've received the spirit from God, the spirit that comes from God. Why? So that we might understand what has been freely given to us. We can't all we can't understand all the things of God without God's spirit. We can't do it in our human minds. We have to have the Spirit of God in, in order to comprehend this stuff. Verse 14. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. And so one who is trying... See, uh, as I said before, there are a couple ways to read the Bible. You can read it for information, i.e. Uh, for intellectual stimulation, or you can read it for revelation. See, if you're going to read it for revelation, then you have to have the assistance of God's spirit to help you understand and interpret what is being said. If you're reading just for information, there is so much that will just bypass you that you will never get because it will be foolishness to you. Verse 15, the spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what, is, what this is saying is that who has uh, known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? That's Jesus. Jesus has the Lord's mind. See, they are one. They, he has the Lord's mind. And so Paul is saying, but since we have uh, the mind of Christ, because we're crucified with him, we have uh, Christ's mind, then we also can have uh, insight into the Lord's mind through Jesus. But without that belief, without that faith, it's foolishness. Chapter 3, the problem of immaturity. Uh-oh. First one, for my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. And verse 2 says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready. So Paul is saying, look, I have been feeding you baby's milk because I can't give you, you know, the meat of the word because you're not ready for it. And so I give you milk until you grow up. And then when you get to a point of maturity, then I can start feeding you meat. But in fact, you're not there yet. So you're still getting milk. It says in verse 3, because... And how does he know this? He says, because you are still worldly. In other words, because you still evaluate things from a worldly perspective. And that could be said for so many believers today. And I'm not going to exclude myself from this. It says, you're still getting the milk of the word. You're not getting the meat of the word because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, you are not worldly. Or are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? And so he says, as evidence of your worldliness, there is envy and strife among you. See, if you were heavenly minded and not worldly minded, then there would be no envy and strife among you. But there is. So are you not behaving like mere mortals, mortals because of this? Mere humans? It says in verse 4, For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, you are not, or are you not acting like mere humans? And so he's giving them evidence of how they're being worldly. The role of God's servants in verse 5. 
He says, what then is Apollos? Is Apollos. What then is Paul? He says, what is Apollos and who am I? <laughs> he says, they are servants through whom uh, you believed and each has a role the Lord has given. So Paul is saying, look, we're just people and we preach the gospel and you believe because we preach to you the gospel. But we're just servants of the one who sent us. The gospel we preach is not for you to believe onto us, but to believe onto the one that sent us. It says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So Paul is saying, look, I planted the church. Apollos is coming along and he has been watering you. He has been feeding you. But God is the one who gives the, gro uh, who gives the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul is saying, we're mere workers. Don't worship up. Don't worship us. <laughs> you know, we're just workers. Verse 10. <clears throat> According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm a skilled master builder. So I laid the foundation because I'm a skilled foundation layer. And then another come, Apollos comes and builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I came along in Corinth. I laid the foundation of Jesus. Some people believed on the Jesus because of my preaching. Apollos comes along and he's starting to grow them up. But we are mere workers in this kingdom. In verse 16, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the, um, and that the spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. And that is what you are. It says um, the, the folly of human wisdom. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in, in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. If you think you're wise according to, to present day man standards, uh, Paul is saying, if you think you're wise because people think you're wise because of, of um, what people say about you, he says, it's better for you to become a fool so that you can be built back up and really become wise in the things of the Lord because wisdom only comes from the Lord. So it's better that you forget all this stuff that you think you know <laughs> and be raised up in the wisdom of the Lord so that you can become really wise. Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. God is always setting traps for the wise to display to them and to show them that they're really not wise. In verse 21, so let no one boast in human leaders for everything is yours. So he said, look, don't boast in me. Don't boast in Apollos. Don't boast in Cephas. Boast in Jesus because he has given everything to you. It says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So again, he's trying to set things straight with regard to how they're thinking. They're not thinking correctly. They're still thinking in terms of human leadership and, okay, I follow him and I follow him as if that's some kind of benefit as far as God, uh, God is concerned. No, no, no. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And he has workers in his church. One doesn't follow the workers. One follows Christ. 
chapter 4. It says the faithful manager. Verse 1. A person should think, uh, should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. And so people should think of, you know, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's the Pope. I don't care if it's, you know, your bishop or your local pastor or priest. Paul is saying folks should think of us this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. That's how you should, uh, should think of them, you know. No more holy, no more righteous. You know, they, they aren't uh, approaching uh, deity, uh, deity status or anything like that. And then he says in verse 2, in this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. And so they have a requirement that they be faithful. You know, if they're going to manage the mysteries of God, they have to be faithful. In verse 5, it says, so don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes. So don't judge anything premature, uh, prematurely before the Lord comes. Who will, bring, uh, who will both bring uh, to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart, and then praise will come to each one from God. So Paul is saying, essentially saying, look, don't judge other folks. Don't judge prematurely. What do you know anyway? <laughs> you know, the Lord will do that. That's his job. That's his responsibility. He says, and then praise will come to you. <laughs> it says, the apostle's example of humility. Let's drop down to verse 9. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. So what Paul is saying is, look, in the human system, when you get a title, then you rank over other people, right? And so we do this today when we hang, you know, uh, a prophet or apostle or somebody, or, and then, then, then we treat them as, as, as more than others. But Paul is saying, uh-uh, for I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place. So Paul is saying, I think God has put us in last place like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. It says in verse 11, it says, up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. He's talking about him and Apollos. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poor, poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everybody's garbage. So Paul is saying, this is the lot of an apostle. You know, would you like to be an apostle? You know, <laughs> you're reviled. When people revile you, what do you well, how do you respond? You bless them. He says, when people persecute you, how do you, or how do you respond? He says, we endure it. He says, when people slander you, then what do you do? He says, we respond graciously. Paul's fatherly care, verse, verse 14. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, for you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. It's one thing to have a teacher. It's another thing to have a father. A teacher teaches information. A father imparts things. A father imparts things like wisdom. You can have many teachers, but very few fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you 
to imitate me. See, so Paul is saying, look, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If I don't imitate Christ, then don't imitate me. <laughs> Should we go on to chapter 5? Yeah, let's see what we got here. Okay. Immoral church members in chapter 5. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. He says, a man is sleeping with his father's wife. And so we got all kind of craziness going on in this culture, which has seeped inside the church. And this is a warning all the time for the church, you know, that as far as um, uh, allowing culture to seek into the church, it says, and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and removed from your, congrega uh, from your congregation, the one who did this? So Paul is saying, look, you can't have this go on. This is such an affront. You should be filled with grief, you know, and removed from your presence, the person that is committing this. It says in verse three, even though I'm absent from the body, I am present in spirit. So Paul is saying, I'm not there physically, but I am there spiritually. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has been doing such a thing. It says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus, hand the one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Wow, that's a harsh word. Hand him over for the, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Does that mean hand him over to be killed? I don't know, but I don't think so. I think that means hand him over so that he can be stripped of his, uh, hum of his uh, human, uh, of his fleshly nature, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It could mean physical death. I don't know. He says in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know um, that a little leaven leavens the whole uh, dough? So he's saying, don't you know that just permitting this little thing to go on in your presence can in fact infect the entire batch? Infect all of you. Paul is saying, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch. And indeed you are, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sanctified. Therefore, let us observe the feast, a feast not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Then Paul goes on to talk about church discipline. And he says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral, immoral people of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. And so I always have kind of a difficult time in this particular set of verses here um, uh, because um, he's talking about uh, activities and behaviors here, but in previous scriptures, you know, it talks about liberties uh, with regard to behaviors and whatnot. Now, that's not talking about things that are uh, explicitly known as sin. 
those are talking about disputable matters. But what's not being demonstrated here, in my opinion anyway, is compassion and mercy. And so we know that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so there has to be some place in there for that. And so I think uh, this is where context is very, very, very important. We have to remember what Paul is dealing with and where he is. We have to remember he's in Corinth, which is in Greece, which is having all of these, you know, the city's having all of these issues and outside pressures. And so Paul has to confront these things or else it's going to destroy the congregation. And so he has to meet these things with truth in an aggressive manner. With that, we are done for today and we will pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tomorrow. Remember The invitation, the proposition, if you will, is always going forth. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word says that you will be saved and you will not be put to shame. There's no time like the present. Make that commitment. Make yourself eligible for eternal life in Christ Jesus. Take care. Stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and should he grace us with another day of life. We'll see you tomorrow in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.